0: Jesus, we thank you so much for today, Lord. We thank you for bringing us here, God. We thank you for this moment we have with you, Lord. What what is this time we have? An hour and a half in church and maybe an hour and a half on Wednesday compared to our whole life, our whole week, our whole month, God, and, and it's just a just time we treasure to be with you, and there's nothing like it. And like David says, Lord, one thing that I desire, Lord, and that of the Lord, God, is to to take this time to be with you, God to be in the temple of the Lord, to come into your sanctuary and worship you. And Jesus, that's our desire, that we come and seek you and hear from you, God, that we would be like Mary sitting at your feet, listening to you teach and to minister to our hearts. So, Lord, I pray that today that you would do that through your spirit. And we thank you, God. Bless your word now. And we ask your anointing, Lord by your Holy Spirit, to be upon us, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Hey, I, I read this story one day. Um, Billy Graham, he was in a small town for one of his evangelistic crusades. Uh, early on, when he go from town to town and city to city, well, he had just written this letter to his wife, uh, Ruth, here uh, on this occasion. And uh, he was wrote this letter. He's looking to mail the letter, but he was in a new town. He didn't know where the post office was. So outside the lobby of his hotel, he saw this boy and he asked him how to get to the post office so he can mail the letter. Well, the boy gave him directions. And before leaving, Billy Graham uh, looked at the boy and said to him, I want to invite you to our crusade tonight. And if you come, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. Well, the boy looked at him and replied, I don't think I'll be there. You don't even know the way to the post office. <laughs> well, I love that. I love that. But you know, sometimes we don't know the way to God. We don't know what it means to walk in Christ. So we don't know how to really get to heaven. And well, in our passage today in Revelation chapter 11, as we return here to our study, God sends two witnesses to direct Israel on how to find salvation in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to find today. And our title of our message is, The Two Witnesses the two witnesses. And we've come to a a well-known passage, and I hope that we can learn much from this, but also that God would move our hearts on being witnesses also. Now we're going to be studying Revelation chapter 11 from verse 3 through 13 this morning. We're going to take this next section and stop at verse 13. We did two verses last week, so now we pick it up in our verse-by-verse study in verse 3 through 13. Now our outline is this, and this is part of our Points, and this is what we're going to see about the two witnesses. And number one in our outline is their mission, number two is their miracles, and number three is their martyrdom. So they're going to be persecuted and killed for their witness of Jesus Christ. But first of all, let's go to number one in our outline their mission. The two witnesses, and this is their mission. Now, for here, we're going to be covering two verses. Uh, verse 3 and 4 here verse 3 and 4 so take a look with me here now verse 3 says and I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth now we'll stop right there and we'll get to verse 4 in a moment we begin with something else that is happening with the nation of Israel, now during the time of the seven years of tribulation. Remember, we are in a, a little bit of a pause here in this, in this chapter. You remember that uh, we were going through, we went through the the seals, the seven seals, and now the seventh seal came, the seven trumpet judgments. And we went all the way up to the sixth trumpet, and then there's, there's this pause. And we're in this pause, in the middle of this pause right here. And you can catch the studies a few weeks back on this if you missed it. And now in this pause, last week we saw something that's been going on with Israel, and that is the rebuilding of the third temple. How the Jewish nation is seeking God again. They're they're worshiping God in the temple, bringing the sacrifices and all. And if you missed that again last week, you can go to our YouTube channel, pick it up, or go on our website, the MP3s, you can listen to right there. And I think you can even download if you want. It's funny, I was looking at... um, we, we, we have these CD duplicators and, uh, that we use, long, but we don't even use, use it anymore, right? I mean, technology today, I mean, I don't even use CDs or DVDs. I think I have all these DVDs. I'm thinking, hey, what do I do with them? Anyway. I'm going off. That's, <laughs> but you can grab the messages right there online. So if you missed that, it's all about the third temple, what God is doing in the tribulation time where there will be a rebuilt temple. Now here in verse 3, John records something else that is going on with the nation of Israel. And so that's to set your mind up here as we come into verse 3. John writes here, the Apostle John, he, he writes on how the Lord is speaking, I believe. And God is saying, I will grant authority to my two witnesses. Now, I believe God is speaking at this point because He's saying, my two witnesses. And this is the Lord sending out these two witnesses. And when He gives them authority, I think about how these two are sent by God. They are officially there to speak for God. And with that in mind, I think about the Old Testament prophets. Matter of fact, after that in verse 3, it says, And they will prophesy. Now, that, to me, that's like a Old Testament way of saying that they are preaching. They're preaching God's word. They're preaching uh, God's message there. And that's the idea with these Old Testament prophets, right? So God sends two witnesses. And to me, it's interesting here, we read in verse 3 that there's two witnesses. And why is there two? You know, for me, I, I, I think for the Jews, the test, the, for the Jews, the testimony of at least two witnesses, right, in their standards and laws, they were required two witnesses to confirm and verify something that is true. And we find that in Deuteronomy 17.6. six six. And so that was kind of the way the Jews did things. And here's God. So I'm going to send two to verify what they're saying is God's message. So for the Jews, God sends two according to their standards. And then these two witnesses, they prophesy. They're preaching God's word. And look, there's a time period. They prophesy in verse 3 for 1,260 days. Now, 1,260 days. In the Jewish way of their calendar, they actually only have 30 days in a month. So if you were to divide 30 into 1,260 days, we come up with 42 months, all right? 42 months. Now, that's interesting because if you look above, right, you remember where in verse 2, that the Gentile nations, or the world, will trample the holy city at the end of verse 2 for how long? Forty-two months, right? And that's what we studied last week, which we calculated out to three and a half years. So the 1,260 days is 42 months, which is the same as what we saw in verse 2. And that it's what we found out last week, that it's three and a half years, all right? Now, the question that comes up here is these two witnesses are sent by God and their time for prophesying, bringing the message of God, is for this 1,260 days, three and a half years. The question comes up is, is this the first half? of the tribulation? Or is this the second half of the seven-year tribulation, right? Uh, last time we saw in verse 2 that the, the it was trampled upon the holy city for 42 months, which was the last half of the tribulation, because we talked about how the Antichrist will stand in the temple, the abomination of desolation will happen where he stands there, declares himself God, and requires the whole world to worship him in that last three and a half period, which was also prophesied in Daniel. Well, now as we come to verse 3, there is a question. Now, commentators are divided on, is this the second half of the tribulation, or is this the first half of the tribulation? Now, you can study this on your own. We, we don't know exactly, but I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe it's the first half of the tribulation. And I'm going to be giving you some reasons as we go through this passage but as we just read about the rebuilding of the third temple as we just studied that last week i believe these two witnesses that are coming on the scene they coincide with the temple worship happening again now again i'll give you a little more as we go but i i really feel that these guys come on the scene right when there's this awakening of A spiritual awakening of Israel seeking God. So, these guys come on the scene. I believe it's the first half of the tribulation. The three and a half years there. And these guys come on the scene. And the last thing we see here in verse 3. As they're clothed in sackcloth. Now, that's again... Uh, Old Testament picture here. Now, in the Old Testament, sackcloth was that kind of coarse material, kind of like today, burlap, you know, type of thing. It wasn't comfortable. It was itchy. But sackcloth was worn in times of mourning, like when you're mourning someone who died. Or we see in the Bible in the Old Testament, like kings would wear sackcloth, in repentance and humility or god would call the people to wear a sackcloth as they repent of their sins and return to god in humility so i think these guys are wearing yeah this sackcloth because they're coming in saying hey they're mourning they're saying look hey judgment is coming Judgment is going to come upon the world and is here upon the world. And they're calling the nation of Israel to repent. You know you want to know something interesting? God had called prophets like Isaiah or Jeremiah to actually actually be clothed in sackcloth too. And that became like, like the, the clothes of prophets. So here's these guys come on the scene Wearing clothes of these Old Testament prophets and, and calling the nation to repent because of the judgment coming. So do you notice something about just what we see in verse 1? Notice that when God, what God is doing here, these guys are sent in a specific way to specifically reach out to Israel. That's what I see. I mean, they're going to be a witness to the whole world, of course, and we're going to see that also. But specifically, they're sent in this specific way to specifically reach out to Israel. I said a lot of specifics there, but you get what I'm specifically meaning, specifically, right? So let me sum up. I see God send these two special prophets, right? not one, but two, right? According to the Jewish standard to confirm and verify the truth of the message. I see God sends these for a special period of time, 1,260 days, right when the Jewish temple has been rebuilt, right when this great reawakening is happening, the nation once again is seeking God like days of old. Just like the Old Testament, they're sacrificing, they're bringing an offering like we talked about last week. And you know what? I want to add this. and I didn't say this last week because I, I, I know I go along sometimes, but I'm going to add it here. With this great awakening, I think it was sparked when God miraculously saved Israel from the attack from Russia and the Arab nations of prophecy in Ezekiel 38-39. We see those things being set up right now. We see that prophecy being set up because never have I seen Russia boots on the ground in the Middle East. So it's being set up for that prophecy to happen where Russia, the coalition of Arab nations like what Ezekiel talks about, Iran, right, Turkey leaving NATO now, joining in on that And the other Arab nations are going to move upon Israel. And I believe, from what Ezekiel says, to to grab their resources. Israel now has the biggest store of gas, natural gas, off the Mediterranean coast. And and their technology, everything that they have is just second to none, the oil, everything. And so we're seeing the world being set up for that. So I believe when Russia, uh, Turkey, Iran... Ezekiel 38, 39. When that happens, they come to take that little nation. God will miraculously save them like miracle, huge miracle. I believe that will awaken Israel to look at God again. And then the Antichrist comes in and this vacuum of power rises up, may brokers the deal. Hey, let's build the temple. Let's, uh, Let's make this peace deal. Give them East Jerusalem and then we'll build the temple. You guys can build the temple. And then, oh, it's all happening. And so that's why I believe... In this special period of time, the 1,260 days is in the first half. That's when these two witnesses appear. As the nation is seeking, seeking God once again, then God will point them to Jesus. And then we see we just not just two special pro- prophets or special period of time, but we also see a special presentation. That's what I call it. Here's these guys coming on the scene looking like Old Testament prophets. Right? they're wearing sackcloth. They're talking with the authority, same as the Old Testament prophets. And then we're going to see them doing miracles like the Old Testament prophets. So here's the first thing I want you to see in verse one, or verse three. God sends the two witnesses on their mission to reach out to Israel in Old Testament style. I think, They're sent specifically, in a specific way, to reach Israel. In a way that would speak to the Jews there. You know, some theological circles say that God is done with Israel. They say that any reference in the New Testament, reference in Israel, and especially here in the book of Revelation, they say it's really talking about the church. It's not about Israel. That God's done, they're done, and now it's all about the church. And so what they do when when we see things about Israel or the 144,000 and all of that, they, they spiritualize it. They don't take it literally here. And they change Israel to mean the church. This is something that is called these days replacement theology. They replace Israel with church now i don 't believe that I think that's wrong i, I a lot of these um, uh, theological churches they're strong on the word but it's funny when it comes to this they want to fit their theology their denomination of theology so they switch they don't take literally anymore they take it spiritually, which I think is crazy be, to fit their theology but i don't see that I believe what Paul said he what he was literally talking about in Romans eleven twenty six, he said, and in this way, all Israel will be saved. And I believe God is faithful to his promise to Israel that one day he'll bring him back into the land, that one day he will rule and reign over them. And this is what it's all heading toward when Jesus returns. So I see these two witnesses, this is part of God's plan here. Remember, we've learned during the seven-year tribulation is the 70th week of Daniel. The clock started up again. Daniel chapter 9. This is why the 144,000, right? Tribes from Israel, Israel, people, missionaries from Israel are going out. Their own peers. And that's why these guys, the two witnesses who come in Old Testament style to come and speak to the nation. And they'll receive them. All right, let's go to verse 4. There's something else here. In verse 4, it says, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Now, here's another description. Here's another way of talking about these two witnesses. And, and so, uh, uh, this ties really into the Old Testament once again. First of all, it's described that these are two olive trees. Now, this brings our mind and connects to Zechariah chapter four. Zechariah chapter four. Remember in that chapter, Zechariah was the one who 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 helped build the rebuild the temple. Remember we learned last week, right? The second temple after the Babylonian captivity and the Jews were returning and he was tasked to do that. Him and Joshua the high priest. So God came to Zechariah and gave him a vision. He gave him vision of this. Lampstand, and he saw the basically the giant menorah that usually sits in the temple. And on both sides of the menor- menorah were two olive trees on either side. And in this vision, there's two olive trees and a menorah in the middle, and there's these pipes going to the menorah on each of the cups of, if you picture the menorah, right? There's these pipes directly connected to the olive tree going into the cups or the containers where the wick is and where you light it and where there's a flame where, where it where, uh, comes out. And so these pipes or these two olive trees were directly feeding the olive oil that the priests usually put inside directly into the menorah and and they're just perpetually basically being fed to the the fuel the flame for the menorah now in the bible the olive oil the oil is a symbol of the holy spirit so in zechariah chapter 4 god was telling zechariah that him, one of the olive trees, and Joshua, the high priest at that time, they were going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to rebuild the temple. That's what they are tasked to do and restore the nation back to worship. So here's God saying, these are the two olive trees. Just like Zechariah and Joshua, these two are the two olive trees, and they're going to restore the nation to worship God. It's in Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6, if you remember, we find that great verse, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. We know that verse. We, 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 we want to live that verse, don't we? So here's the two olive trees that are standing. It's the two witnesses. Now, They're also described as two lampstands. Now, that symbolizes how God will bring these two to light. Yeah, light the gospel, light the, the message of God. These two will bring the light of revival, I like to say, the light of revival to restore Israel to God through Jesus. That's the idea. So there are two olive trees empowered by the Spirit, like Zechariah and Joshua, to restore the nation. but there are also two lampstands, two menorahs, so to speak, two lights, to come and bring the light of the gospel to the people of Israel, the light and truth of Jesus Christ. You know what's interesting? In the temple, when they made the temple, or even the tabernacle, you know, the, the, the tent during the time. Uh, when Israel was going through the wilderness and they had a portable church going on, uh, basically in the temple and tabernacle, there was no windows. When they constructed the temple, there was no instructions from God to make windows. The only light, yeah, the source of light was that menorah standing in the temple. So it was a priest's task to, to always keep that lit, always pour the oil in, always keep it going. And so that was the only light that was in there, and it represented God's light. So these two witnesses, this is how I think about it, these two witnesses, they shined the light of Jesus during the darkest times of the world, during the dark times of the tribulation. And so God is saying, this is how I will bring the light of the gospel to the hearts of Israel and restore worship. So for the two witnesses, this is their mission. Their mission is to preach the word of God and direct the hearts of Israel to be saved in Jesus. That's their mission. Now, I, I want you to take a peek at verse um, 8 down here. If you look down at verse 8, and we'll, we'll get to this explain more. And their dead ba- bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt. And then look what it says. Where their Lord was crucified. So you understand these guys know Jesus. These guys are about Jesus, right? These guys are going to preach the Messiah is Jesus. So these guys have come to preach the word of God and direct the hearts of Israel to be saved in Jesus. That's their mission. Directing the hearts. These uh, at this time, the temple, the sacrifices are going on, and they're like, "Oh yeah, let's bring the sacrifices, let's do that, let's see God once again." But now God takes that opportunity and now says, "Wait, right? The the blood of bulls and goats they do not take away sins." I believe these guys are quoting Hebrews there, and and they're saying, "No, it's Jesus." Let me tell you about Jesus. That's how I feel like it's the first half of the tribulation, of the seven years tribulation. So they're directing the hearts to go to Jesus for for salvation and atonement. You know, um, I don't know if you remember when the GPS first came out. You know, we used to have the little... Little units that rental cars had, or you can buy Garmin or something like that, right? And then, then our phones, right, got sophisticated with maps, Apple Maps or Google Maps, and and you could punch in the 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 address, and then and then the 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 lady in your phone will direct you, right, where to go, and and you get directions that way. And and I remember when it first came out, I thought, oh, I got to try this. And we were living in Puebla, and. uh, uh, Jared wanted to go to his friend's house. He wasn't driving yet. So I'm okay, I'll go. okay, I'll drive you up. And his friend live, live up here in Pukalani, And so just for fun, I put in the address, and we're driving up, you know, Baldwin. And, and um, they wanted me to go to, uh, she wanted me to go to I go, no, I'm going to go on Haile Miley, you know, cut across that way and go up the highway. And then I was like, oh, redirecting, you know, the wheels spinning, and okay, you know, you kind of threw threw the lady for a loop, so she had to like reconfigure everything, right? So we're going up, after that was fine, going up the highway, told you to turn left on the highway, go turn right on old Haleakala, coming up. So we're coming up. And the friend lived, uh, like by Pukalani school. So we're coming up and we're coming up the road, you know, right, right below Fulan, right? We're coming up and the lady comes on and the lady goes, you know, how it like, prepares you, yeah, to turn. The lady comes on and says, turn right on Pukalani. And we just laugh. Like, I, the lady's Hawaiian is better now. But, but before it was puke, you know, puke. Alani and, you know, it's, it's a little messed up. We got to the destination, but I thought that was really f- funny. Well, here's Israel. The way to God is a little messed up. Yeah, they're still in the Old Testament times. And they need to see Jesus as the Messiah and see, see what the cross has done and how, how Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies and now through Christ we can be saved and so they're a little messed up so the nation needed direction on how really to be right with God and it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats it wasn't the sacrifices of old that cannot take away sins but this time in this spiritual reawakening God sends these prophets and they're coming in Old Testament style to preach salvation in Jesus. And I love this thought. I love how God is reaching out there, how God is preparing them for a second coming so that they would receive Jesus as their Messiah. And it's through this process now. God is working with Israel once again. The 70, 70th week of Daniel, the clock has started. God is dealing with them and now he's directing them and using these two guys to bring them to Jesus. Jesus to how you really can connect with God, how you really can go to heaven, how you really can worship God and have a relationship with Him. And isn't this great? He's using these two witnesses in the Old Testament style, but with the New Testament message. I love that. You guys, let me say to you, God uses us in the same manner, you know that we would bring this message of Jesus to those who are messed up in how to get to Jesus or how to get to heaven or how, 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 can I, how can I really have eternal life and have security in that. You know what? He uses us and he uses us in the style that would be a bridge and connect with people that he's, he brings to us and people that are we are with. That's why God has you where you are. Sovereignly, God has placed you wherever you are to share Jesus. And then let me bring your thought a little farther. You are who you are today in Jesus because of the Lord. Like, let me say it this way. Where you grew up and the way you grew up, God sovereignly is going to use that to be a bridge and connect with people. Like the way you grew up. God saved you from that past life, right? And praise the Lord, He did. But you can now connect with people with that same past life and be able to share Jesus because you're wearing the same, you've come from the same kind of clothes that they're wearing. Your experience and what you've gone through and maybe going through, God can use you just like he's using these two witnesses as a bridge to relate, to communicate the truth of God's word and Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. Sometimes we think, well, oh, I'm, I'm not evangelist. I, I can't, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not Billy Graham. Yeah, you're not. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not like Pastor Greg Laurie in the Harvest Crusade. No, I, I'm not. I don't I don't pretend to be at all. I wish maybe I could have his gift, but I don't. But we're not like that. But you know what? God has called each one of us on a mission. Did you know in the in the book of Acts and back then in the time of the apostles and the early church that they consider, every believer considered themselves as a missionary. Every believer. Today we think, ah, oh, missionaries, they go on a foreign soil, like Lane and Nauko, they're in Miyako Island and Okinawa. Yeah, they're missionaries, not me. No, you are. And you are evangelists. We are all called to go out into the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. And God, in His sovereignty, has taken, has saved you and wants to take you, who you are, your experience, where you're safe, where you safe. Well, where are you safe? saved you from your past and use you as that bridge in that that way that you've experienced so you can relate and communicate jesus and what jesus can do that's what it's about we are just simply little lights but we're still a light yeah letting it shine wherever god would like bring us according to who we are and how we look and all of that We have to get that into our minds as God has set up these two witnesses to go specifically to Israel's soul. He's set you up to specifically shine a light right where you're at. I remember hearing um, Elizabeth Elliot once say, Evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. I love that. I love that. So let us be like the two witnesses. Let's go on to number two in our outline, their miracles, their miracles. Now, two verses here in this section, verse five and six, and let's go ahead and, and look at both of these right now. It says, and if anyone would harm them, fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes if anyone would harm them this is how he is doomed to be killed they have power to shut the sky that no rain may fall during the days of of their prophesying and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire okay these guys are powerful these guys are not to be messed with, I mean, after reading this, wouldn't it be fun to go street witnessing with them? <laughs> I think it'd be great. Yeah, let's go. You know, I like to see all that. So, if anyone tries to do them any harm, fire comes out from their mouth. Now, I don't know if if, if that's literally they're like dragons and burns toast everybody, or or fire comes down from their command. Uh, it could be that. I mean. I don't know. Maybe it is bad breath. No, going on or something. You can use the two witnesses like as a cold word. You know, like when you try nicely offer a breath mint to someone and they're like, "No, no, it's okay. Just whisper." Two witnesses. Oh, okay, okay. No. And they also powerfully shut the sky and others. They stop the rain. For the time of prophesying, which is three and a half years. I mean, think about this. This is on top of the third uh, trumpet judgment in Revelation eight, where all fresh water is poisoned, made undrinkable. Uh, maybe it's even part of why there's a famine in Revelation four, right? The the fourth horseman, uh, that the fourth seal, this famine came, right? And there's not enough food. Maybe that was part of it too that was going on with these judgments. And you you don't mess with these guys because they can turn water into blood. Maybe that's part of it. And bring every kind of plague as often as necessary, right? Can you imagine the world hating them? Can you imagine the world thinking, what are you guys? You're doing this to us. We need food. And they're coming with a message, but all they can think about is their own needs. So, the two witnesses will certainly get the attention of the Jews and also the whole world. Certainly, right? In these miracles, in these, this, these powerful uh, uh, miracles that they, they do. Now, all of this, what we're reading in their miracles, brings up a question, and I'm sure it comes up in your minds. Who are these guys? Who are these prophets of God? Who are these two witnesses? Yeah, who are they? Well, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of talk. Commentators are divided on who this is. And but let me tell you one thing: there, most of. Um, commentators in our camp of eschatology which is a the theology or study of end times um, we we believe that these are literally two men it's not some symbol of the church or or some movement or anything but they're actually two men the word witnesses really refers to individuals not some movement or or a group so who are these well i'm going to give you what i believe and, and and again, you can study this. Uh, we, we don't know uh, dogmatically is the word, like, like for sure, you know what the Bible says. Uh, there's not really a lot of information, but I'll tell you who I believe they are, and I believe they are Elijah and Moses. Now, Remember, they're coming in Old Testament style to speak to Israel, who are focused on the Old Testament style worship right now. So they come in Old Testament style, and what better than Elijah and Moses to show up? Some say, well, they, they come in that spirit, like John came in the spirit of Elijah, like, like they, they're kind of doing things like them. But I kind of feel like it's them back on the earth. And, and, and let me tell you why. They did similar miracles. I mean, the fire consuming people. Remember, Elijah twice faced a captain and 50 soldiers in 2 Kings 1 who came to forcibly take him to the king and, and says, hey, if I'm a man of God, then let fire come down. They're all toasted, right? Twice. The captain and 50 men, remember the third captain came because the king kept sending, and the third captain came and said, uh, uh, Elijah, uh, uh, I'm just, it's not me, it's the king. I just, he humbled himself. You know, here's the picture of my family and every, please don't toast me, you know, and then Elijah went. But fire came down and burned them up. We also remember how Elijah prayed and the rain stopped in Israel in First Kings 17. And how long was that? James tells us, in James 5:17, he tells us it was for three and a half years, the same amount of time we're reading here. So I think it's Elijah. And then the other guy, the other witness, well, what are we reading? Plagues? Any kind of plagues? Water turned to blood? who do we think about right away? Moses, right? How God used Moses to bring the 10 plagues so that uh, Pharaoh would release uh, Israel out of Egypt, right? And the first plague was water being turned to blood. So that's, that's, that's why I think, you know, I think it's Elijah and Moses. But not only that, the Jews believed that Elijah and Moses would come before the Messiah comes, That was their thought. In Malachi 4 5, it says, they look at this prophecy. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So they're waiting for Elijah to come because when Elijah comes, that's a sign that the Messiah is going to come right away. In Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen, it says, "I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him." And the Jews believe this is Moses that God would send. So there, you know, in, in a sense, here in uh, Old Testament, they're looking for Elijah, Moses, and here's Elijah, Moses, right. Now, there's an idea from Hebrew 9.27, which says that every person is basically appointed to die once and then face the judgment. So there's this idea, there's this thought that, well, Elijah was taken to heaven in a fiery chariot, if you remember that, 2 Kings 2. So he never really died, so maybe he needs to come back to the earth and die. Moses, well, that's a little more fuzzy there. Uh, he, He did die, but his body was never found, matter of fact. I was buried by the Lord somewhere, and Jude. There was contention between Satan and Michael about well, about the body. Then you could read that. So that's why they think. Well, may, maybe it's Moses, but some say maybe it's not Moses, but it's Enoch, because Enoch never really died. Because in Genesis five twenty four says Enoch walked with the God, and he was not. All of a sudden, he was probably the first person raptured. You know, brought home to the Lord. So some thinking it's it's Enoch. I feel like it's Elijah and Moses, because you know what? They were seen together. In Matthew chapter 17, on the Mount of Transfiguration, you remember? Jesus had a meeting with Moses and Elijah. And in our study there, we learned that why those two guys? Well, Elijah... Represented all the prophets, he was the greatest of all the prophets, and Moses represented the long and commandments. And here's I believe Jesus having discussion with them about what he was about to do. He was fulfilling all the prophecies and the laws and everything. He was about to die and crossing had a little meeting. and Peter and the other guy saw that. Well, I think here in this instance, it's Elijah, and Moses coming to Israel as a witness. Elijah representing all the prophets. And Moses, representing the law and the commandments, telling them, hey, it's Jesus. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy. He's the Messiah. Jesus fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Here's Moses and Elijah. And so, who better to come and speak to Israel? The Jews will certainly listen to them. So, that, that's what I believe. You can study this on your own. But that's why I feel it's like these guys. So, we see God sends two particular messengers with their miracles to powerfully support what they preach. And and that, that's really, as they come, Elijah, fire, stopping the rain, Moses with the, the plagues and everything. It's just, on top of it all, supporting who they are and the message that they're bringing to the nation of Israel. I mean, we can go and and I've, I've spoken to Jewish people before. And I remember going street witnessing. And on one corner was this, um, these uh, Orthodox Jews with their hats and their little curls, you know, in, in their outfit. And I, I try and share Jesus. And I remember having conversation. And, and I remember, i never forget, one guy said, you know, you preach Jesus and he's the Messiah. But, you know, that's blasphemy to us. I was like, oh, okay, I understand. And it's hard. It's hard to, to speak to them. But imagine these guys coming in. Moses, Elijah, is that really them? Oh, they talk in that authority. They have the, the clothing of prophets. And, and who are they? Who, who are these guys? Oh, they call down fire, stop the rain, there's plagues. Is it Elijah, Moses? Is it the ones we've been waiting for before the Messiah comes? It's got to be them. And I'll tell you, there's, there's rabbis right now speculating right now on on, Like I mentioned to you last week, like, oh, this is the year of the red heifer because then the Messiah will come. There's all kinds of things I'm reading like that. These, these, some mystic rabbis, some other rabbis, they, they feel like it's any moment the Messiah has come. So, so believe, think about this world, and what they believe right now with those signs. Then think about two real guys standing there doing miracles in front of them. And then they're, say, they're, they're Elijah Moses and they're saying, look, the law could never save you yeah or or look, all the prophecies this is about Jesus Christ. the law can never save you, but that's why Jesus came. He is the messiah so I, I with the miracles, it powerfully yeah supports and validates yeah who they are. you know, I was thinking about how many times we feel well i don't know if I can share jesus, I don't have a quote unquote testimony you know oh i i I grew up in the church or you especially feel that way after some you hear someone sharing their radical testimony you know I, i i was lost in drugs or i went prison or i was this alcoholic and then i came to jesus and everything went and you're like wow that that's so awesome but me i'm boring if i stood up there oh Everyone fall asleep, yeah, right, kind of thing. And sometimes we feel that. But let me tell you, every person has a testimony. We have a testimony of how we've been powerfully forgiven. People are looking for forgiveness, aren't they? People carry guilt. People suppress that guilt with abuse, yeah, substance abuse. But every one of us have been forgiven, forgiven completely made righteous by the righteousness of Christ so we can go to heaven now. That's a testimony that you know you've been forgiven. And that sin that separated you from a relationship with God, no more. You've been forgiven. Now you have a relationship with Jesus. And no matter if if you grew up in the church or something, Jesus has freed you from the bondage Of sin and flesh. You have a choice now. You don't have to do those things. Those things aren't, aren't a chain upon you. And now you have a real life in Christ. That's a testimony. That's a testimony, you guys. Now I have, no matter where you come from, I have a transformed life. Yeah? The Holy Spirit is in me, I'm a new person. I have God in my life. I have His strength, His power. We have a testimony, you guys, of of Jesus in us. Jesus changing us. Jesus strengthening us. Jesus being here for us. You know what? I would say each one of you, no matter your background, each one of you, you are a miracle. You are a living miracle before God. And that powerfully supports The message you share. That's your testimony. Share what Jesus can do in a person. What Jesus has done in you. To those who give their life to him. How Jesus saves. How Jesus even is helping me now. How Jesus is helping me free me from from these habits. Even after I prayed the prayer. Listen, don't let what you're about be anything else except Jesus. Jesus. That's, that's the key. That's the message. You know, in these times of pandemic, sadly, the world thinks Christians are about political views, conspiracy stories, that we're believers of misinformation. It shouldn't be, you guys. It should be about Jesus, that, be- that the world sees us as people that are about Jesus. And that should be our message of what Jesus has done in our life. You know what, I want to be about the powerful name of Jesus, right? Powerful name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. What a wonderful name it is. The power of Jesus that can come into the soul of a life. That's what it's about. And so these two witnesses, they come with miracles and everything. They're miracles. But you know what, their message is one thing. Jesus, Jesus. All right, let's go to number three, our last heading, their martyrdom, their martyrdom. And we'll quickly go over this. Verse 7 through 13, the rest of our section we're going to cover. And uh, first of all, verse 7 through 10. Verse 7-10 through says, And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom in Egypt where their Lord was crucified. For three and a half days, some of the peoples, uh, some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on earth will rejoice over them, make merry, exchange presents, because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. Now, we find that the, at the end now, at the end of the 1,260 days, the three and a half years, right? The time of their testimony is finished. Up until then, they are protected. Up until then, God protected them. But when it was time was Paul, that was it. And then they were protected and invincible until their work was done. And then the beast now. Who's this beast? This is the first time this word is used in Revelation. The beast is the Antichrist. That's whom this is speaking about. The first time out of 30 or so times in Revelation that this word is used. He's a beast. You know why? He's a monster. He's an evil monster. He's like a wild animal. Ferocious killer. He does evil. He does harm. So he's called the beast. He, notice it says, he arises from the bottomless pit. Now remember we saw the bottomless pit when those demons were released. That's basically this part in hell. It's basically talking about hell. God had them imprisoned and released them. So this guy, uh, it says he rises from the bottomless pit. Well, I believe it speaks of how he's given supernatural power from the demons coming out from that pit. Because he's a regular human being. But then he's totally empowered by these demons from the pit. And he comes in with these evil intentions and he kills the two witnesses. Now, I believe at this point the Antichrist comes in, kills them, takes over their city. And this is another reason I think the two witnesses are in the first half of the three and a half years. Because I think he comes in at this moment... Uh, God brings down his protection of them. He comes and kills them. And I believe then he goes into the temple, stands in the temple. The abomination and desolation at that three and a half year mark uh, uh, declares himself God and requires the whole world to worship him. That's another reason I, I, I connected that way. Then in verse 8, their dead bodies will lie in the street of that great city, which is Jerusalem. And it's gonna, they're going to lay there for three and a half years years verse nine says i mean days for three and a half days it says in verse nine um uh, and and people are going to gaze and when it says from um, peoples from tribes and languages nations and then later it says all those who dwell on earth, like the whole world is going to see their bodies in the streets they're not going to allow their two bodies to be buried to what uh, this them to not bury a person is to dishonor them. To leave and leave them in the in the street, and 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 they're just sitting there. Now notice something in. Verse eight at the end it says that the great city, Jerusalem, is symbolically called Sodom in Egypt, where their Lord was crucified. We know that's Jerusalem, that's where the Lord was crucified. Their Lord, as I mentioned, uh speaks about they were witnesses of Jesus Christ. And and when they say when it's written here it's symbolically called Sodom, how could Jerusalem be called Sodom? I think it's because the the city, the world is coming to Jerusalem, and when the Antichrist comes, he really uh, gives the city over to the Gentile nations that's what we saw in verse two and so Sodom uh, it speaks of sexual wickedness like in Sodom and uh, uh, Egypt is represents symbolically evil persecution like in Egypt what Egypt did to the nation of Israel back in the Old Testament so that's the persecution that's how wicked and bad the city is going to go down once the Antichrist comes in and so these, the bodies are going to be sitting there, not placed in the tomb. And then, isn't this crazy? This is a crazy thing. In verse 10, those who dwell on the earth, the whole world, they're going to rejoice. They're going to celebrate. They're going to make merry and even exchange presents. I don't know, maybe Christmas has turned into Dead Prophets Day, you know. Oh, yeah, we're going to give gifts and all that. And, and, and they're going to rejoice over them and exchange presents and have this celebration and holiday. Because, it says in verse 10, these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. See, the, the world hated them. Perhaps with, with the miracles that they do, stopping the rain, the fire, uh, the plagues. Perhaps they tied that into all the seals, all the trumpet judgments, and they're maybe even blaming them for all the suffering that they instigated, all the calamity that fell on the earth. So they're like, yay, they're gone, yay, this is over, they make merry, they exchange presents, you know. Can you imagine how crazy that is? So if you notice, this is big news, the whole world, and it's as peoples languages nations all all, 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 all of that it, it's talking about the whole world are is going to see these two prophets killed and their bodies lying there now I think they're going to see this live in real time I think because of the world we live in today it seems like because the word gaze means to really intently stare at. And so I, it seems like Antichrist, the whole world is going to see them killed. The Antichrist is going to televise us and show. And he's going to be the hero. And then he wants the world to worship him. And then the world's going to see these guys killed and their dead bodies lying there. And they're going to rejoice. And you know what? I think of how the world can gaze at these dead bodies. Only modern technology can make this even possible today. It wouldn't have been like that years and years ago, right? But think about today, yeah? Picture news stations and reporters from all over the world come and do a live broadcast, yeah? Live broadcast, you know, showing everything that happened. Maybe there's an internet cam set up so anyone can go to the dead prophets live on Facebook and see them lying on the street. Only today. I think things are set up for this to actually happen. It would not be possible without our modern technology that we have today. So we're ready now. (laughs) We're ready now for this. Let's finish up here. Verse 11 through 13. But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they uh, stood up on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies watched them. And at that hour there was a great earthquake, a tenth of the city fell, seven thousand people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. So as the whole world is rejoicing, having a party but after three and a half days, God breathes life into these two witnesses. They are resurrected. They rise up. They stand up. Yeah. And they're, they're alive now. And then a voice, and I believe it's a voice of the Lord, maybe breaking news. They're standing up. And maybe right when it's all televised, God speaks, Come up here. And everyone in the world watches them, how, even the Antichrist, how these two faithful ones rise up and disappear into a cloud. Yeah. Woohoo! Yeah. What a witness that is. Yeah. All celebrations cease. Matter of fact, it says that people are overcome by fear. Reporters, I could see, are speechless. They don't know what to say. No one knows what to say or do at this moment. And then, to underline this, and then to, to put a period on, on what has happened, God brings this huge earthquake into Jerusalem. So huge, that tenth of the city is destroyed and 7,000 people are killed. And it's so bad that many are terrified, it says here. They're terrified of God's power. And it's interesting, the rest of the city gave glory to God. Now, there's little speculation. What does this mean? Did did the uh, unbelieving Gentiles people there just say, well, this must be God and give glory? Uh, one commentator said, well, this phrase, give glory to God, is a, in the New Testament, usually means that there was true repentance that happened. So perhaps, this is my kind of take on this, that that all the Gentiles, people took over the city, they are terrified. They're like, whoa, 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 they're just in fear. But the rest of the city of, of Jerusalem, which is the Jews, Perhaps it seems that any remaining Jews still unsaved, they came to believe and be saved That all. These guys are from God. Their message is real. I need to give my life to Jesus. So we see that even in their death, God is in control, right? God is in control of all this. And here's the last point. Their martyrdom can only come when God says their testimony is finished. And that's what I really want you guys to see. It was God's plan in all of this. For them, the protection to be taken off, the Antichrist to kill them. It was, it was all in God's plan because God was going to raise them from the dead. The whole world was going to see them, you know, rise up. And that would be a testimony in itself. So their martyrdom can only come when God says their testimony is finished. Listen, I believe if you're a child of God, walking in fellowship with God, doing the work of God for the glory of God, living in the will of God you are indestructible until it's time for you to go to heaven right until it's time for god to say come up here come up and be with me now that doesn't mean that well let's try it out yeah let, let, let's go out to the poly and jump off a cliff onto the rocks below you know what you'll find out that that's not the will of god and if you're not in the will of god you will be destructible But be encouraged today. You are a child of God. And when it's time to go, it's time to go. But when it's not, it's not. It's not. No fear, no worry. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. God will fulfill His plan in you and through you. In life, and even when it's time, in death. No matter what will happen. All for His glory. Have comfort, have faith, hold on to that. I'll close with this. Uh, a friend of mine, Pastor John Miller, he passes Revival Church at Calvary Chapel in California. We used to surf and stuff. And a friend of mine, he, uh, he was sharing, and he tells of how one day, I remember him telling this, and I heard it again. He, tell, uh, he tells of how one day on his way to do ministry in Australia, he was at a Carl's Jr. in Los Angeles by the airport, don't go there, getting food when him and his buddies were kidnapped at gunpoint. They got in the car, put a gun to their heads. True story. They took over the car and drove around for about four hours with a gun to their head. Eventually, they let him go. But Pastor John, he was telling me he really thought that he, this was the end. It was time to go. John shares how an amazing thing happened, though, with a gun to his head, the guy in the uh, back seat, with a gun to his head, asked him, what do you do for a living? Funny, huh? He thought in his mind, funny you should ask. But he told them. He replied, I'm a pastor. I preach God's word, and that's why you kidnapped me. God wants you to know that he loves you and he can change your life. He said the crazy thing was the guy with a gun to his head said, my mom tells me that. She's a Christian. John's like, well, he, she, I don't know if she should have disciplined you or something. <laughs> the other guy just starts yelling and tells him to shut up or he's going to kill him. And, and 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 even though John says this was the only time he was convinced, he really felt like this, this, this was, I'm going to heaven now. And he's thinking about his family, his kids. He had this overwhelming peace and sense of God's presence in the vehicle. And he was able to share the gospel there. So, he shares to this day, he knows. He says the same thing. I'm a child of God. And not, they, were, they, they were released. They're all okay, he's alive today. He says, I'm a child of God and nothing can happen to me but what he Ordains So what peace there is to know that. If it's time, then it's time. And besides, who wants to stay any longer? If it's time to keep preaching, then you know what, keep preaching. Keep going. But either way, we want to let the name of Jesus to be known. And that's what these guys are about. The two witnesses. Let's pray. Lord, uh, we pray for... God, those who do not know you right now, who've heard this message, we pray that you would save them, God. I pray for those who are full of fear, terrified, God, of of dying without you. But may they know the message that you came to die on a cross and saved them from their sins and you rose again to free them, Lord, from sin and death and the bondage of our flesh, God. I pray for anyone here who's been living in that overwhelming grip of fear that they would find that peace in you and your Holy Spirit that, hey, we're okay until it's time and God will protect us. I pray, God, that you would then give us the boldness of the Holy Spirit, God, to proclaim your name, God, to share how powerful your name is, Jesus, and who you are and what you've done in our lives, God. For time is short. And may we, Lord, go wherever you send us and be the witnesses, Lord, to bring the message of salvation. And if one person, even one person, even if if for one person their eternity is saved, their soul is saved, God. Lord, that is huge. So help us to make the effort to be in prayer about it, to be open, not live selfishly, God, but knowing that soon you will come, the technology is set up for the world to see these two prophets, that we would have that urgency to do the same. So we thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Let's all stand.